Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. So welcome again. We are in lesson 22 in our series called uh, Unshaken, Strong in Faith, No Matter What. And we are in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter one. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Daniel. And if you've been watching some of these talks and you have a sense of the story of scripture. And in fact, last week was a great week. We talked a little bit about the prophet Jeremiah and Daniel lived sort of in this time of Jeremiah. And I'm gonna, we're gonna get into that in a minute because I think there's a relevance to that. But um, Daniel is one of those books that is towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, between the Old and the New Testament is a 400-year gap. but and, and in those years leading up to that 400-year gap is um, this, this dance between the people of God and God. Well, God wasn't dancing. God was drawing them to himself. And they would constantly come towards him when they needed him. And then as soon as things got good in, his life, in their lives, they would leave him and go back to their ways. And things got worse with every passing week and month and year. And, and, and over and over again, God would send them prophets and ask them to repent and to come back to him and to follow his ways and 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 he he wanted that not to 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 make life hard for them but on the contrary because he had proven himself faithful to them but again and again uh, that message that the good prophets the godly prophets would give would fall on hard hearts and deaf ears and so by the time jeremiah comes along jeremiah is the weeping prophet he's he's heartbroken because he knows that it's a matter of time he, if jeremiah reigned or, or reigned he prophesied for 45ish years maybe 40 to 50 years and in that window his entire message was a cry for them to repent but also an awareness that they would not turn back to God and that inevitably Jerusalem would be taken captive by Babylon and that the people of Israel would be taken captive so Jeremiah predicted that he saw that coming and he was heartbroken over that no one believed them and so last week we sort of talked about that how Jeremiah was this guy who who preached so hard and lived so faithfully and saw so little fruit and yet Perhaps sometimes in our lives, we don't see the fruit that is happening in our lives because here is this young man, Daniel, that we're going to come meet and he's living along the same time that Jeremiah is prophesying. And who knows how much of the ministry of Jeremiah has affected Daniel because we're going to see come out of Daniel, this man who is solid, who is strong, who is resolved and who knows the truth and who's living for the truth no matter the cost. And so I've called this teaching uh, unshaken when it's easier to fit in. 
You say, what are you talking about? Well, by now, Nebuchadnezzar has already come and taken some of the young men captive. In fact, if you catch some of the reading at the end of Jeremiah, and nowhere in Daniel 1, but bear with me for a minute. At the end of Jeremiah, we're sort of told this picture of what was happening at the time. It says in, in chapter 52 of Jeremiah, this is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans. In the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, he carried, he carried away captive from Jerusalem, 832 persons. And it goes on and gives these numbers. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar had come into Jerusalem and, and as the, the time was coming to the demise of Jerusalem in that, in that moment in time, in historical time, and by the way, remember that God had promised that they would be, in fact, later Jeremiah 29 is that passage that predicts that the people of Israel would indeed come back to Jerusalem, but for 70 years they would live under the rule of the Babylonian Empire. And so now, some of these young men are taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. This is not an honor. They're prisoners. And now we catch the reading in Daniel chapter 1. And let's read this verses because I think there's so much context here to build on what I'm going to give you in terms of application points on how to stand unshaken when it's easier to fit in. And so here's a community of people that are taken into this world that is not their own and there's a temptation to want to fit into this culture. And, and, and here's how it plays out. It says in chapter 1 verse 1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's what Jeremiah had predicted. And the Lord, and by the way, he wasn't the first one to predict it, but Jeremiah did it strongly. And the Lord, verse 2, gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And by the way, we've talked so much about suffering in this series, all the way from March. You can go back to YouTube and, and to this page and see all of those lessons. And there's this tension every time we, we read something like the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The idea that God allows this suffering to happen to his people. There's a resentment in our souls sometimes as Christians to think that God allows suffering and there's, there's ebbs in us to sometimes this, but, 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 but why would God do that? And yet we see that. Last week in Jeremiah, we saw so much of calamities allowed by God and led by God. Why? Because God knows what it takes to draw our hearts back to him and God is sovereignly in control. We studied Job not too long ago and we see that same pattern where God understands the level of pain, but allows it. And there's a purpose in that suffering. And so here, um, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's place or in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Ezra he called Abednego. I'll stop here for a second, just to kind of, in, in, in Lena English, sort of explain to you what's happening. Basically, the king brings these young men, they're like cream of the crop, they're the best looking guys, they're, they're smart, they're from royal family of Israel, and this is, again, this is not an honor. Um, he wants to brainwash them into this new culture. He's taking over. This is a hostile takeover, but it has this, this sense of, it's a 
this sort of reminds you of the way Satan works. He presents himself as an angel of light, but his, his goal is not a good goal. And so here the king is educating them. He's giving them food, his own food, the food that he ate, he's giving them. And, and again, it's so easy to be lulled by that and to think, man, life couldn't get, be any better. Here we were in Jerusalem and we had, you know, life was a certain way. And now we're taken captive, but we're given a place at the king's table. We're given the food of the king. And, and it's so easy to be deceived by that. In fact, out of the thousands of young men who were deceived, you're going to see most were deceived. There was a young man, Daniel, you'll see in a minute. In fact, let me read you verse, um, verse eight. Uh, in this context of a world where this new king is trying to get these young men to change their ways, to change their beliefs, to worship a new God, he, uh, he lures them with the human appetites, the things that would make them feel good, make them want the things of the world. And, and in the middle of it, uh, this young man, Daniel, creates a little bit of dissonance and it is the most powerful thing in the world. And here's how he does it. It says, but Daniel resolved, by the way, I'm wearing my resolved necklace today. I made those when I wrote the book, Resolved. And, and it's, it's a really cool necklace. It says resolved. And I wore it to remember because this is where so much of this resolve that I speak about in my book, Resolve, comes from. But, but here's this example of this young man in a culture that was unfriendly to him, but was desperately trying to change him. Sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? And so Daniel, you go, what did he resolve? What he resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, now it's easy to look at this and be like, man, what is the big deal? I mean, first of all, he's, they're, giving, they're feeding them. I mean, they could have beaten them. They could have put them in prison. But you see, Daniel was wise enough to understand what was happening. Daniel understood the end goal. He could see through what was happening. I've mentioned a little bit about spiritual warfare in the past few weeks, and I've talked to you about how in the new year, in 2021, I'm developing a series that we're going to do here in this context on spiritual warfare. I think it is essential for us to remember that so much spiritual warfare that happens in your life and my life looks on the outside like it's a, a friendly sort of atmosphere trying to get us to be more like the world, and there's so much pressure to fit in. And Daniel sees past the outside, because remember 2 Corinthians 10, we're not fighting. The war that we wage is not in the flesh, it is in the unseen. And Daniel understands that, and he, whether he heard it from Jeremiah or from his own parents or from whoever ever else, he knew the word of God, and we're going to see in a minute. In fact, his very resolve indicates that he knew the word of God. And see, his resolve goes back that in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Leviticus chapter 17, verses 10 to 14, there was um, a law that God had given the people of Israel not to eat uh, certain foods that were forbidden. And, and not only were some of those foods that they were given forbidden, but also those foods were assumed to have been offered to idols, to the false gods. And Daniel knew that. Daniel did not want to eat food offered to idols. So there was a lot of spiritual understanding that led Daniel to make this decision. But furthermore, Daniel also made the decision because he understood that in, in eating the food that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy king, who was seeking to change his whole being, his whole, his whole way of living, his whole way of worshiping, Daniel understood that by eating the food, he was showing this friendship. And so this was his way of saying, look, we might be in your land, but we are not like you. And so this resolve was a, a step, a drawing a line in the sand of saying, okay, look, you might be able to try to get us to be in the world, but we will not be of the world. 
And so he makes this decision to our ears. It looks like a small thing. It's just a, a meal. Why are you making such a fuss? Well, well, he doesn't make a big fuss to anybody. He makes this resolve. It's a personal resolve. He doesn't impose it on the couple thousand other young men who were with him. In fact, we're going to see in a minute that only three other young men saw Daniel and decided like Daniel to take on this resolve. And this resolve was not easy to live by. In fact, here's how it plays out. It says, but Daniel resolved. And then he says, therefore, he asked, Halfway through verse 8, therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Remember that most of those decisions that we choose to live by when you're living in a culture that is unfriendly to the ways of God, it is not your power of convincing others that wins you the victory. If we're indeed fighting a spiritual battle that, that is unseen, that our faith has to be not in our own ability to convince others of the truth, but in God's ability to soften hearts and give favor. And we know by reading scripture, we've, we've already looked at examples. And in fact, the next teaching we're going to do is going to be on the three young men who are going to end up in a fiery furnace. We know that it will not always turn out good for the people of God. But in this situation, in this time, it was God's will to give him favor. But he still had to be wise and loving and timely about it. And so God gives Daniel favor in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And, and, and had he not had favor, the chief of the eunuchs could have banished him. He could have prisoned him. He could have killed him. He was a slave. And instead, here's how, what happens. It says, the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, that's Ashpenaz who had shown up before. He says, I fear my lord, the king. So, so this chief of the eunuchs is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He likes Daniel, but he's afraid of the king. He says, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So, so it's a legit fear. This eunuch, he's not a Christian. He's not a follower of the living God. And so he's sort of watching the dynamic. God is moving behind the scenes. And by the way, don't you forget that. No matter what you're going through today, God is moving behind the scenes on behalf of his people. Even, even in a season when his people have, because of their own sin and willfulness and refusal to repent, even be, as they've landed in a land in negative consequences, even as they've now going to be spending 70 years of captivity, even in this context, God is still for his people. Remember Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29, 11. He says that he has, if you don't know that verse, it's certainly worth, worth even repeating now just to encourage some of you. That is the scripture that is so famous where he says, God says to the people of Israel after this, when you go and land in the land of Babylon, he says, I know the plans. He goes, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And maybe as Daniel was living out this chapter in his life, he knew that and he had confidence in this God and so he was now making choices that would line up his life with the living God. And God was working on his behalf in a place where he might have, by making this decision not to eat the king's food, might have suffered um, a personal punishment and risk. Instead, the eunuch brings him a sphere and Daniel says to him, okay. Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And all of a sudden, we see that it's not just one man, Daniel, but he's got now three friends and four of them. And listen to me, four is stronger than one. You know, I think it's Ecclesiastes. It says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But now he's got his three buddies. This is the, their small group. You know, if you're in a small group and you pray with others, so he's got this small group. They've all decided to follow God in a way that doesn't make sense to the world. And so Daniel says to him, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. This is a situation where it was a good thing to be fatter. Many of us be like, man, I don't want that diet. And by the way, this whole chapter has nothing to do with a diet plan, even though we've made it about that so much. This isn't a cry out for vegetarianism or veganism. And if you were doing that, good for you. That's not, it's neither here nor there. That you can, you're health-wise, maybe you've decided to do that. That's great. But this is about a spiritual battle that was bigger than what they were just eating. And it says, so the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them, to vegetable, gave them vegetables. And I'm going to stop here at the reading in a minute. And let me give you just a few application points before I come to the end of what happened. So, so unshaken when it's easier uh, to, fit, uh, to fit in. So it would have been easier for Daniel to fit in, to go with the flow, to do what the culture was doing. Instead, you say, in order to stand strong, here's point number one in the teaching, in order to stand strong in a shifting culture, He's in a shifting culture. He's no longer in Jerusalem. He's no longer in the land of his fathers. He is in a new land with new gods and new beliefs. New gods, small g, by the way, not the living God. God is still sovereignly in control, but he's in a land where people are worshiping other gods, speaking another language. Education was different. Everything about that land. It's like 2020. We're still in the United States, but so many of us look around us and we're like, man, this is like some kind of, um, what's that, 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 like sort of like fantasy world like we never imagined that we would live in this it feels doesn't it like a dystopian novel and um and that's the world we're living in a shift, shifting culture so you go how do I, how do i stand strong and unshaken in that culture well number one you must resolve to decide what matters the most so what, what are you talking about, Lena? Well, what's exactly what Daniel had to decide. You can look at his life and say, man, what, what's the big deal about a piece of meat and a glass of wine? But it was his stance to say, I will not look like the culture. And, and he based that not on his moods, not on his diet preferences, but what on the word of God taught. And you can take this application and, and, and translate that into what we think about sexuality, what we think about marriage, what we think about, about the way that we interact with our bosses, what we think about our politics, what we think about racism, and on and on and on and on. God's word speaks to every area of our life in those matters. And so you and I have to decide and not just the famous words of Joshua, who we will serve, but, but what matters the most in our life. And so here, here's some choices to consider. You must choose between pleasing man and pleasing God. Daniel could have just pleased his worldly leaders, his boss, the eunuch, made the eunuch's life comfortable, but instead he decided at great risk that he would serve the Lord. You must choose not only between pleasing man and pleasing God. By the way, jot down Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul talks about that ad nauseum in the, in the New Testament. By the way, some of my favorite verses, I think one of the power minutes this week in, in, that came through, uh, I believe I read, uh, quoted Isaiah chapter 2. It says, why are you afraid of man in whose nostril is but breath? And yet we live in the fear of man and God constantly reminds us in his word, like man is it's just flesh with oxygen that God gave us to survive. So you must choose between pleasing man and pleasing God. But here's another choice. You must choose between what's popular and what's true. It might have been popular for 
the the guys from Jerusalem who were taken away captive, maybe it was a part of it, like maybe they maybe they were so relieved that as captives they were invited to sit at the king's table and to eat of the king's meals. So maybe they were they maybe for a minute they thought, I mean, this is incredible. We we we've reached. We're sitting here. We're getting educated. So what? They changed our name. No big. And 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 yet Daniel refused what was popular and chose what was true. One of the biggest challenges, I believe, in our day and age right now is the discernment of what's true. And you will never discern what's true if you don't spend time in this book. There's no way. There's no way. You're not going to find out what's true by pulling your favorite teachers on Twitter. You're not going to find out what's true by reading another article in another magazine, as great as those articles are. Now, you can get, you can get direction, you can get insight, but you will not know the truth until you know the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and you know him through his word. Unhindered, undivided communion with God. We've talked about this. This isn't new. It's, it's intentional. It's persistent. It's, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. You might be going through a month or a year where you're like, keep beating yourself on the back. Man, I want to spend time with God, and I just can't. Listen, it is, it's not like God is clocking you. You know, I wear one of those step watches, and, and like, if you feel so good when I hit that 10,000 mark, I feel it buzzing, and I'm like, ah, I'm so great. You know, today I went for a walk with a friend. We literally walked the exact same path, and she got like 2,000 more steps than me. What does that even mean? We're so caught up with our idea of what God looks at. And we hit those numbers. I did my devotions five days this week. I read 16 chapters. I remember, those are all great disciplines. But if disciplines don't fuel relationship, then you're wasting your time. And for discipline to fuel relationship, it takes time. Just before the, this here tonight, I texted Irina. I said, let's be praying for tonight. And I said, I just want to be focused. And, and she said to me, just, just take a minute and breathe. Close your eyes and breathe in and out, in and out, in and out. Diana spends time here, does the, the biblical stretching. Why? Why do we teach this? Why do we take time to teach you? Listen, it's not about hurrying through, reading your Bible, getting through the tasks. It's about knowing God so that when you're in a place where now you're in a world with a shifting culture, you can stop and say, God, I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe the conversation with God, with God is, God, I don't know what's true here. I want to love my neighbor, but I'm not sure how to do it. And is it loving my neighbor if I do that? And then God speaks to you through his word. And, and then you're willing to say, okay, I know this doesn't look popular. I'm going to have to step out and stick out and find a eunuch and be like, look, I can't do this. I want to answer to my living God. It is more important to me to resolve to do what God wants than, than to be accepted by my peers here in this world. And then stepping out in faith thinking, okay, I might, I might be punished for this, but being willing by faith to step out in a shifting culture, and you do it when you've resolved to decide what matters the most ahead of time. And so you choose between pleasing man or pleasing God, between what's popular and what's true, and you choose, you must choose between your temporary comfort or your eternal joy. It's always the choice at hand. This week has been a big week of hearing about people in ministry who are well-known, who have made some bad, bad decisions over the course of their life. And now we all sit in our homes reading accounts and tweets and articles, and we're, we're sort of put ourselves in a place of judges. I catch myself doing that. Like, 
are these stories true, first of all? And if there's true, how did they get to this place? And, and sometimes there's this underlying fear, like, I hope I never get to this place. But there's also this sort of sense of like, like, like what happened? They chose temporary comfort over eternal joy. Sometimes you don't see the fruit of your choices right now. Sometimes you step out by faith, confident that God sees. God sees. I was reminded of that this week in talking to a friend. God sees. God sees. God sees your small decisions. It can be a diet decision. It can be a viewing decision. It can be a decision on who you're going to be friends with. And it, it, the list is long. In order to stand strong in a shifting culture, you must resolve to decide what matters the most. To resolve means to make up your mind. You've got to make up your mind. You will not make up your mind in the heat of the war. You have to make up your mind now. My challenge for you this week, last week we talked about journaling some of the gratitude things. My challenge for you this week is to write down two or three resolves about your life. Where are you struggling and resolve, resolve it. Make up your mind. God, I am never going to do this. Now, now are you gonna do it perfectly? Maybe not. But you say, what will help you? Here's point number two. In order to stand strong in a shifting culture, you must surround yourself with strong allies. I'll tell you what will help. To get yourself a Shadrach, a Meshach, and an Abednego. You will find strength for the battle when you've got a group of people. We've got to thread some of the leaders of this community. We've got the group thread. And I, I, I'm not great at answering at it. I try. But, but some of the ladies on it are so faithful and encouraging. And over and over again, they're a, a community of knowing, man, I'm not speaking to the air. And I'm not alone. And there's a community of people who's being strengthened in the word. And, and that's what the local church is about. And, and you can look at the big, you know, the, local, the big church, first of all. Then you got the local church. But then you've got your small group, but then you've got your couple of groups of friends that they know you and you live your life open and authentic and you tell them, guys, let's sit down and make up our minds. Here's some things I need help with. And so when Daniel, you'll see this pattern if you start reading through the book of Daniel 1, 2, and 3, you'll see a pattern where every time there was a big crossroad, a big decision, Daniel wasn't on his own. He had three prayer buddies. And, and you know, and I know that when you're in a situation that is rough and you get an email from someone and, and they say to you, Man, I'm praying for you today. It fills you with hope. There's something that happens psychologically to me when I know someone who loves me and loves God is praying for me. It's like, I feel like, okay, I'm gonna be okay. And so here's these young guys. By the way, that is not Lena's truth. That is God who says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. That's what Jesus said. And so, and so you wanna feel strength in a decision that honors the Lord besides knowing that God sees. God gives you flesh, human flesh, people, who know the truth, who come alongside you and who remind you, it's accountability. D dude, maybe they sat down and maybe Shadrach was like, Daniel, Daniel, don't, don't, you remember, they're watching. And maybe all the other young Jewish boys would laugh at them. Be hard to be alone in that. I believe Daniel would have stood alone, but picture them, four of them together and, and they're strong stronger than they would be alone. In fact, I jotted this down. You are never as alone as you think you are. I always believe when I talk about community, there's that single person in the room. I'm single, so I believe I know that. 
there's that single the person in the room in your homes you're going like man i want community but i don't see anybody i'm on my own i live in a town where nobody else is walking with the lord i don't know anybody and I, you can easily get caught up in this eorism i call it the sky is going to fall and it's going to fall on my head but you are never as alone as you think you are. Daniel starts his resolve and he's alone. And minutes later, he's got these three men with him. This is, reminds me so much of the story of Elijah. We taught this a few weeks ago. You can go back for 1 Kings 19. Remember, Elijah complained to God. He was so depressed. He was hiding in a cave. And God was like, what's wrong, Elijah? Tell me what's wrong. God knew. He wanted Elijah to see it. And Elijah says, man, I'm, I'm the only one fighting for you. And God says, dude, you're not. He says, there's 7,000 others standing strong. You're never as alone as you think you are. That's why we meet here on Thursdays, why we still show up live and we'll continue to show up live because we want to remind you, you're not alone. That's why every week I tell you guys, send us prayer requests. It's not because we want to know your business, because we want to support your prayer and remind you, you are not alone. I'm so encouraged when so many of you send us emails and some of you, and you know yourselves, you keep us up to speed. And sometimes I don't answer as fast as I'd like to, but I see it and I'm praying for you. And now we've got members of our team. Janice is on tonight. I'm so thankful for Janice. Janice is our prayer warrior. She sent you emails. I know if you've asked for prayer requests, you've heard from her and she continues. Listen, I told you before we have an Excel sheet. We hold you up to the Lord. And why? I mean, I talk about the Excel sheet. It's not like we just file it and leave it, but because we're serious about it. We keep our, our all of the data of our ministry in a place where we know what it is and we, we, we focus on on it and it is an active part of our attention listen we believe in a God who hears prayers and who's acting on behalf of his people you are never as alone as you think you are here's another thought under point number two you are never as strong as you are with a small and faithful community of like-minded people are you intentionally seeking those relationships in your in your life? I'm, I'm learning in 2020 that it, it doesn't happen magically. It's sort of like dating. I think a lot of single people, look, I'm still single. I can tell you, like, we just think, like, somehow, someday, someone's going to knock on my door and open, and he's going to be like, oh, Lena, I want to marry you. And he's like this great guy, right? I mean, it's, we all have this idealized version, I guess, of how community is going to happen, but it, it doesn't just magically happen. Oh, you walk into church, you sit on a row. Oh, my gosh. We just, it takes work. It takes work. It takes meeting people. It takes showing up. It takes not just showing up, but showing up. It takes being honest. It takes speaking about what's happening in your life in the right places with the right expectations. Not too high, not too low, but the expectations that God in his word has told us. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. You are never as faithful as you are when you're surrounded by accountability. I genuinely believe that some of the fruit that was born in the life of Daniel and of Shadrach and of Meshach and of Abednego, four of them showed up here and Hebrews 11 talks about all of them. That fruit is because they found each other in a sea of young men who were sucked into the culture, four names stick out. Who's your community? Can we pray for you that God would help you find those two or three people in your life, that God will use those people to help you stand strong in the resolve that you're making and making up your mind on certain areas in your life where you know that if you're not careful, you will be just like the world. 
look, we're not condemning the world. We are, we were in the world. I mean, Ephesians 2 talks about how we were part of the world system. It was only God's grace that got us out of that system and transferred us into the kingdom of his life. It wasn't because we were any special. It wasn't we were anything greater. In fact, I sometimes think I'm a worse sinner than people who are still in, in who don't know the Lord because I know the Lord and I know better and I still sin. So, so I carry more. I have to constantly remind myself of God's grace in my life that loves me, that saved me, that continues to change me and that continues to love me even in my sin. And often it is the community of believers that reminds me of those things. And so in order to stand strong in a shifting culture, you must resolve to decide what matters the most. You must surround yourself with strong allies. And lastly, in order to stand strong in a shifting culture, you must start standing strong right now. Listen, you don't wait until next week, next year, next decade. You do it now. Daniel did it the day he shows up. He doesn't wait. In fact, his whole life, the entire story of the book of Daniel, in fact, I'll sketch briefly what happens here. As far as, as for these four youths in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. It says in verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought him in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hannah, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Do you know that Daniel served for his entire life? He never went back to Jerusalem. Chapter 2 is a riveting chapter. I'm not going to get into it other than to say this. Pretty, and I, I'm going to get into it enough to make a point because I'll tell you in a second. Um, so Nebuchadnezzar has a dream right after chapter one when Daniel resolves to live for God. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and, and he demands that the wise men in his kingdom would not just interpret the dream, but know the dream. And so they're all doomed. Like they're all like, we're all gonna die. He tells them, I'm gonna kill you all if you don't know the dream and the interpretation. And so Daniel hears this and Daniel asks the, the wise men of, of the time and he says, why is the, the king angry in chapter two, verse 14? Daniel replies, um, and he, you know, he, he's told about the decree that the king does, that he's going to kill the wise man. And so Daniel goes to his house in, in chapter 2, verse 17. It says, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to, again, who? His three allies, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And then he shows up to the king, and the king says to Daniel in verse 26, whose name was Belteshazzar, he says to him, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answers, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king had asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And Daniel tells the king the dream, and he interprets the dream. And at the end of chapter 2, it says, The king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. Then the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed the three companions over the affairs of the province and, in, and and Daniel becomes a leader in the kingdom. Why? Because he resolved to stand strong starting right now. If you want to see the fruit of your decisions, you decide right now. You make up your mind now. Who are you going to serve? Your decisions now influence your future tomorrow. If you're a young person watching this right now, 
I challenge you with this. I challenge you, you high school students, college students, this is the day you decide who you're going to serve. This is the day you decide how you're going to present your, your, your ideas to the world. You don't change your ideas just because the world doesn't like your ideas. You, you present them in a way that trusts God and, and is appealing and, you, and to, to, in, in, in as much love as you can. And then you, you let God worry about the consequences. And who knows, might you be a Daniel who is assigned to be a ruler even in a world where he's taken as a prisoner initially. So your decisions now influence your future tomorrow. Your strength today is building you up for greater challenge tomorrow. And your yes to God today is positioning you for greater usefulness and impact tomorrow. So what are you going to wake up and make up your mind to do today? Today is the day of decision. For some of you, it is a decision to start following Jesus. Never put your faith in Jesus. That's the first decision. There's no more loving, more compelling person in the world. But besides that, Jesus paid the price for your sin. He is the reason you can stand before God without God pouring his wrath on you. Will you follow Jesus today? Maybe your resolve is, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus and you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe circumstances in your life have been hard and maybe you were taken a prisoner. I thought so much this afternoon about those other men who were there. They didn't make any resolve. They were taken prisoners. They lived like the world. We don't know what happened to them, but, but we kind of know. We know that because Daniel, by the way, Daniel in his life never had a failure. He's, Joseph is the other person in scripture in the Old Testament who sort of had this very perfect life and he is a type of Christ. And Daniel is also a type of Christ. Daniel lived a very perfect life seemingly, which you might say, man, it's not attainable. How can I live that? But listen, we're a lot more like the people of Israel who were taken captive than we are like Daniel. Because, because Daniel is a type of Christ. It was Daniel's obedience. It was Daniel's faithfulness that made it possible for us to be in a place of safety. They were all going to be killed because no one could interpret the king's dream. But Daniel showed up, yet faithfully followed God, and because he stood the test, again, the, the comparison, the, the, the imagery is because Jesus stood the test, we can now stand secure and have life. So what is it that you're going to make up your mind today in? Will you do it? What are your inner convictions? What is God, what is the Spirit of God urging you? Man, I've got to change something in my life. There's a, there's a decision, there's an addiction, there's a friendship. I just need to resolve to follow Jesus in that area. We're here to help you, to pray for you, to support you, to be your community as much as we can. But more importantly, God is with you and he's made a way for you to follow him. If you'll just say yes to God today, will you do it?